The information on this podcast is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All information contained on or related to this podcast is for general information purposes only. got one hell of a story, don't you think, Lisa? I think so. Um, so she was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis at the age of 14. Yeah. Um, that diagnosis later changed to Crohn's at the age of 25. Very similar to your story. Absolutely. And then later at the age of 35, um, she had an ileostomy. Mm-hmm. And now she has a very interesting line of work. Hi everybody, I'm Lisa. And I'm Chantel. And this is Gut and Glory. She has uh, a diploma in child and youth counseling and a forensic practitioner in mental health mm-hmm. and corrections. Yep. So we're so excited to have you here, Lindsay, and for you being brave enough to tell us your story about being an IBD warrior. Yeah, welcome to Guts and Glory. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So tell us, you were diagnosed at the age of 14. Did that diagnosis come quickly or like were you sick, you went to the hospital, this is what you have? Um, It was a little bit more of a lengthy process, I guess. Um, I like to say that I'm kind of an IBD veteran. Um, I don't think people were quite as educated or or aware of the diseases 20 years ago when I was diagnosed. Mm. Um, I just started high school. I was a relatively normal kid. Um, I can remember being on the volleyball team, playing in volleyball tournaments, and and feeling a lot of abdominal pain, popping the Tylenols on Mm. the sidelines, and um, it kind of escalated from there. Um, to you know, to include the diarrhea and blood loss with Were diarrhea. Were you telling your parents at this point? I did eventually tell my yeah. parents, and I did go to the doctor. Um, at that point, the doctor prescribed me Imodium and sent uh, me on my way. Yes, Imodium. <laughs> uh, just fix everything. Just poop a whole lot, yeah, and it'll be fine. Lisa, being a, she was diagnosed as at eleven, so. I was diagnosed at 20. Yeah. So I don't have the memory oh, I have of being a, a child. Plenty of memories um, of Imodium. But I can imagine. Okay, so you've got diarrhea. We're going to give you Imodium. Yeah. Clearly it didn't work. And I mean, that on its own is humiliating. At 14, you're... Uh, you know, your your sense of dignity is probably the most protective thing you have as a, a teenage girl. And yeah. your body's um, changing. You're going through a whole whack of things anyway. Yeah, all of that stuff. And so um, when it didn't get better, I kind of kept that to myself a little bit longer than I probably should have. Mm. Um, so it's your symptoms are increasing yes, in severity. Yeah, and yeah. you're keeping it silent. Keeping it to myself. Um, in high I, school, which is not a pressure-filled time at all. Not a pressure. No, grade 9 on top of that mm-hmm. when you're really just kind of trying to find your way, right? Um, by Christmas, I was pretty much not functioning, um, not eating, not able to get up. I was extremely ill. Um, just before Christmas time, I saw a pedi- different pediatrician. Um, and they actually did. They took blood. They took stool samples mm-hmm. and said, we'll see you in the new year. Always. Because um, we have time to wait. We have time to wait <laughs> to see in the new year. We've got to get these tests done. I'm not you know? losing weight. I'm not going to yep. the bathroom like multiple times a day. Nope. I'm not in excruciating pain. No. Just Merry by Christmas. <laughs> well, and it was, was exactly that Merry Christmas. It was Boxing Day that I, I couldn't get up anymore. And my parents took me to emergency. I was taken to emergency and I uh, was kept in the hospital for about a week. Um, there were no beds for me. Um, uh, so you're that hallway, in the hallway? I wasn't in a hallway, but I couldn't be transferred to the children's hospital. Um, right. So they were going to send me home as an outpatient. Um, and at that point, the only thing coming out of me was blood. 
So were your parents just like on tear? My parents were had no idea what was going on. I mean, Crohn's was kind of a word none of us had and ever at this heard point, did before. Did you have a diagnosis or no? No diagnosis. So it was still like we don't know what's wrong. We don't know what's wrong. We have no bed for you at the children's hospital, um, so we're going to send you home as an outpatient. Refer you to them. Um, I don't remember the woman's name, but there was a nurse that was working with me who was just an angel. She ran into the bathroom scooped a bunch of the blood that was in the hat on the toilet out and chased the doctors down the hallway, told them that I cannot go home. Yeah, like this is uh, complete thank you. bullshit. Thank that you, nurse, nurse lady. It's people from like 20 you years change ago. Yeah. it for the patients. Thank you. I was uh, sent to the children's hospital that night. Oh, and, magically they had a bed. And I was diagnosed. Brilliant. That, um, so that's thanks wow. to that. Definitely thanks to that we nurse. Are not, thank you yeah. thank again. You. Yeah. So I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, and um, subsequent to that, I was hospitalized for over two months. Well, um, at this point, you must have been. In, I can't even imagine. Like within you, that two months, I was on TPN feeding nothing by mouth for over thirty days. Wow. Um, I'm surprised you didn't have pancreatitis at that point. You must have. I bet you you did. Ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, any of this stuff. Look, yeah. Never heard of it before. Um, yeah. I know it was confusing for me. It was confusing for my parents. Um, did I mean, someone did someone speak to you or your parents about what this disease is? Like, did they tell you this is a chronic illness? This is not something you're going to get better from? Like, did anybody explain? No one explained these things to me. Um, 20 years ago, your options were prednisone or surgery. Right. Um, and that's pretty much where things stood for me. Um, like, were you under the impression that you could get better? Like, this was something that in a few months you were going to be better from? I was not under the impression that okay. things could get better, um, but I was also um, refusing any type of surgery. Right. Um, so at well, that you're, point... you're 14. I'm 14, refusing yeah, any type of surgery, like, not really understanding things. Um, my options for pain management were pretty limited, um, given the fact that I was on a pediatric ward. Yeah, I would um, imagine. So right. I was probably quite thin at this point. I lost close to 60 pounds. Yeah. Oh, um, and I think more importantly, I missed some really formative time in high school. Yeah. Um, when fr like friendships were made and cliques were formed. I think I was really isolated and I was really, really angry. Um, Did you return to grade nine that year or were you just, because you said you were in the hospital for like two months. Did you end up getting back to grade nine or did you just start fresh in grade 10? Um, I ended up getting back to grade nine. Um, I had missed all the opportunities to kind of make friends, make friends, fit into cliques. So I returned to school. Even find out like what the school's about, like who my teachers are and what the clubs and the teams. Yeah. And, yeah. So talk about that a bit. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, you know, I mean, it led to a lot of isolation, yeah. and it definitely led to a lot of bullying. Um, when I came back to school, um, I was extremely thin with my big, giant uh, prednisone moon face. Don't we um, just love that? Don't we just love that? I was in a four-story school, um, but I wasn't capable of climbing the stairs for class changes, so I actually had to use the freight elevator. Was the school accommodating to you, though? Um, they were as accommodating as they could be, um, I would with the, say. With the lack of with education. With the lack of okay. education. Okay. Um, okay. And I think things have definitely changed nowadays, but again, going back to 20 years ago. Yeah. As a uh, teacher right now, I'm like, what were they doing for you? Like, you know? But I'm also, I've never, my high school and the schools that I've taught at, we don't have, if we have a student who can't get to another floor, 
They don't go. Yeah, we we. I'm thinking of there's the no elevator. I went to there was no yeah. elevator either. There yeah, was there was um, a freight elevator in the back, and I was given a pass to use it. I would have been trampled at class changes. This was a massive high school. Yeah. Um, and I really struggled because I was still so sick. I didn't really have any care or interest in learning anything. Yeah. Um, but realistically, were, so that's not a priority. Did you feel? Did you feel like? This is the place I have to be during the day. I gotta slog it out till I can get out of here and be home. Have some time to recover at home before I have to come back the next day, slug it out again. I think that was definitely a part of it, but I think it was a really lonely experience. Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming the bullying and stuff was probably associated to just knowing kids. I teach grade seven and eight, so yeah. we're twelve and thirteen. Yeah, I was I was called the anorexic girl. Right, and nobody knows who you are. Yeah, because I missed everything. And we fear, like, we don't like the unknown. And the best way to get over the unknown is to be afraid of it or mm. to make it uncomfortable. Well, I, I, had a, you know? I had a very similar experience in my grade 9 uh, high school time. Um, I, my mom thought I was going to die in grade 9 because I'd lost so much weight. I think I was down to 95 pounds I have a picture from that September and it's just like who is that skeleton um, but I felt the same way I was really sick and just I didn't have surgery but just having the disease and having to manage going to the bathroom and trying to be normal in grade 9 like that alone having not been admitted to high school I was bullied because I just stood out because I was skinny. So I'm thinking about you, like missing all that time and then having to come back. You know, I remember a kid saying to me, like so angrily, "Why are you so pale?" And it just broke like, as me. If, like, like, what's what's wrong with the color of your body? And I just thought, I can't. I, it was. I. It still stays with me. It haunts me. The look on his face. There's just this disgust yeah, because it was so yeah. foreign. So I. To me. I you know, I really relate to what you're saying about grade nine, like that. And I, you said you played volleyball, so you're definitely not playing any sports. Oh, I was definitely point. not playing any sports. Which would definitely have been a bonding element for you. Yeah. The school attempted to make things easier for me by pulling me out of the French immersion program and placing me in the English program. Um, and I with the best of intentions, and it actually made things much worse. Because you, you were with nobody? new students now. Because now I've been right. separated from anyone that I did know. And on top of that, learning the material was much harder. I, they assumed English would be easier, but having been in French immersion since junior kindergarten actually not easier. made it harder. Because yeah. yeah. you're learning in a certain order, right? Because you have to, in, my daughter's in French immersion. I'm wondering I why it. that they would have made that, I, I guess. Well, like, I mean, I guess the assumption to is English would be easier. Yeah, I even to see. a parent. It's like, yeah. oh, well, I'll make it easier for you. I'll take you out of French immersion. But they learn in a different order in French immersion. So by the time they say, by the time it gets to high school, it's sorting itself out, but right. you're a different track, but it's sorting yourself out. So you would have learned things in a certain order. You would have filled in in French, you know, in right. that order, but you switched to English. And so, yeah, just a different program. So this clearly had to have a negative impact on your mental health. First of all, first of all, we've talked to Lisa many times mm -hmm. on the podcast Every single person that comes in here, even ourselves, we've yeah. talked about how mental health is the one constant. Like, just being diagnosed with a chronic illness. Like, when we had Montana on in our previous episodes and she talked about how, you know, we're designed for acute care and we, we don't look at what happens mm -hmm. when you tell somebody they're sick forever. And yeah. then when somebody has to live in pain forever. And when somebody has to... And then add that to being a teenager. Add that to regular teenage shit. 
and then add that to, and then put that all in one box and put it in a human and say, here you go. And add to that, <laughs> like, yeah. add to you that you're, you're dealing with caregivers and their ability to, to communicate. And if you run into some who don't communicate, then you're left to either do the work on yourself to figure out what's going on with you or hope you run into somebody who can explain. The nurse that's scooping right? your blood from the, the space nurse. and running yeah. down the hallway. You know, so how did this impact you? Like, did you end up switching schools? What did, did you? I did. I ended up switching schools. In grade 10? Um, kind of. I never really made it through the grades like a regular person right. after that. Um, I did end up switching schools. I think that um, with my parents, we decided that would give me kind of a chance to start again. A fresh start. Um, but I think that 20 years ago, again, without a focus on mental health um, and no without focus. the understanding of these diseases or even chronic illness in general and how that impacts people, mm -hmm. um, that it really disrupted my development and it really disrupted my um, ability to build my identity. Um, and that left you me were. at a deficit when it came to trying to find a peer group, um, which really led me down um, not a great path. So let's talk about that. Being so we're... Being a troubled teen, yeah, when, man, you don't want to hear about my story. <laughs> when, when did you, like, can you pinpoint the moment that things started going down a bad path for you? Um, I think that uh, my time in the hospital, my mm -hmm. misunderstanding, and that whole unfairness um, mm -hmm. when I was originally diagnosed uh, made me a really angry kid. Um, and no one ever addressed that. Um, Adults don't know how to deal with anger. I don't know how to deal with my anger associated to my disease. I can't even imagine as a child. Yeah. Like you're even well, less, you have even less experience. We weren't talking about it 20 years Clearly, ago. Clearly, like. Now, now it's, it's, I won't say that it's fully integrated. It's more integrated now. into yes. assessment of somebody's, uh, you know, overall health. But uh, yeah, I mean. The, the thing is, parents just want to fix it, right? They just want to, like, make it better. What can we do? Not, if and you say I have do. a problem, it's like, great, I'm going to take care of it for you. But it's not. It's a therapy thing as yeah. opposed to a Totally. It's a totally fix. therapy thing. And I, I think that the, the issues were present even in the hospital. Um, there was a lot of uh, healthcare workers who had difficulty working with me. Oh, yeah? Um, my room was always outside the nurse's station. I used to be able to hear them arguing over who ha would be assigned to me for the day. <sighs> Um, and again, no fault of their own. I was miserable and terrible to deal with. But also with. no fault of your own. <laughs> so you're actually hearing the people who are like, charged oh, with giving care of you, not wanting to give you care. Yeah, and you know what? I don't blame them. Okay, but you know that's a lot. But no fault of your own I know it's awesome, yeah, you, you don't you know, blame them. Yes, I was a, a name caller, a thing thrower. I was a, a terrible patient. Yeah, but I think to um, myself, like, great. And like, and so you should have been. Well, yeah. Like, as an adult, I don't need... Well, I shouldn't say I don't name, call, and throw things. That's a lie. Yes. <laughs> I've done these things. I don't condone this behavior. This is not a good thing to do. However, like, I've been extremely frustrated in hospitals as an adult and been like, damn it, like, you're not listening to me. And so I, I'm going to just... I'm going to attack you. I'm just going to take this moment to <laughs> advocate... <laughs> We do love partners. The premier <laughs> of our uh, of our province of Ontario to please stop reducing health uh, care and uh, cutting corners because people genuinely need nurses who have not have enough slept. time and yeah. slept and enough had, time have eaten and have regular shifts that and are don't not have to worry themselves. that they're going to have to pick it and lose their jobs. 
so they can provide care to children who are struggling with a diagnosis of Crohn's or colitis. Just off the top of my head, I'm, there are many more things, but if you're listening, which I'm sure you're not, um, just want to put that out there. Okay. Well, I think a huge piece of that is is considering that diagnosis um, that you now have this disease forever. This this pro- absolutely this progressive yes. chronic illness forever. Like, what the hell um, does that even mean? Like, somebody needs to sit here and tell me what this means. Like, and I think we need to recognize that as a trauma. Totally. And I, I think that as an adult now, doing what I do for a living and with the education I have, I can look back on my hospital experiences, my diagnosis, and my teenage years and say that I suffered a trauma that wasn't managed. 100%. Um, to the fault of, of no one, again, given the lack of education at the time. Um, and I think that trauma um, really interrupted me developing my identity. Um, and who you were destined to be. Who I was point. destined to be, but where I fit in. Yeah, uh, yeah. I went back to school and belonged nowhere. Right. was understood by no one. I had no peer group. And I think that that um, loss of, of formulation of identity, uh, you know, when you're a teenager, that's when you start to develop your likes, yeah, your dislikes. Totally. Yeah. You, you know, find you, out who you are. You start to lose your friends from elementary school in some cases and you gain other ones. What makes you comfortable? What doesn't make you comfortable? Exactly. Like you have those experiences. You break the rules. Then you figure out, yeah, you know, you, you know. test your, your morality. Totally, you find your, you know, your sexual identity. Hundred um, percent. A lot of those formative steps um, were kind of taken away from me in a sense. Did you feel yourself gravitate? Like, did you gravitate towards a social group? Because there's all different types of kids in high mm-hmm. school. Did you gravitate towards the kids that were like-minded in terms of they had, they were angry with something? That's exactly what ended up happening. Right. Um, so as a mis- misfit myself, I, misfits. I, <laughs> I like it. I think I like I, uh, I definitely ended up um, gearing myself towards the to the towards the other misfits. Um, and what I mean by that is I started to really commit myself to a, a delinquent group of peers. Um, but that's also that's giving that's you your sense where, of belonging. Exactly. And I think that yeah. that ha- not having that and and the self esteem issues. Um, that came with my diagnosis and my isolation definitely led me um, towards um, some poor choices. Um, I struggled with school. At one point, I wasn't even in school. Um, Struggled with suspensions. I was uh, expelled um, on more than one occasion. I feel like Um, this is like the typical angry teen. And and you know, I, I like, look back now and I realize I was a typical angry teen. Yeah, but like, I think for different I reasons. didn't know why. You were yeah. re- yeah. almost rebelling against yourself. I was rebelling plan? against myself, and you know what? Looking back to maybe a loss of control. Um, Absolutely, having no control over that diagnosis mm-hmm. um, or what your disease does to your body. What it you does can't to my help body. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so at 25, you were diagnosed with Crohn's. Was that a turning point for like what happened there? And how did you get yourself from, get from a point of being a part of a misfit to clearly turning your life around based on where you are now? Did that, did you get sick at 25 and Crohn's caused this to be the reason why? Or did you have a, a moment where you were like, I'm in the wrong spot? Did you do the wrong misfit thing and then you really got kicked in the butt? Like, this is... <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, like, like I said, I think I really went down the wrong path. And I mean, we're not just talking about misfit things. I mean, um, there was substance use, totally. um, yeah. some conflicts with the law. Um, I was not in school for a period of time. Um, 
And um, I'm sure this put a, a rift between you and your family as well. Huge like, rift between me and my family. Yeah. But I think the turnaround for me is entirely credited to them. Um, when I talk about not having that opportunity to find my identity and that being interrupted, where I belong and, and who I should fit in with, I think the pieces of my identity that were already formed um, on a strong foundation um, with my family um, is what kind of brought me back around in the end. My experience. So they were holding on, even though you were drifting away. They were still like. Oh, they they Mama was holding on for dear life. <laughs> Shout out to Mama. <laughs> and um, I think that my experience is um, is what made me decide that I wanted to work with um, kids, um, work with teenagers with mental health and uh, those in conflict with the law. I think once I made that decision that that was a direction in my life. Um, it was like I a completely changed my course. Yeah, really? it was the yeah. boost you need. It's like I've discovered this is what I want to do with my life, and but that's when you set a goal that you truly believe in. You and I feel like even people who are chronically ill, when they set a goal that they actually believe in, there nothing is going to stop them from yeah. that goal. Like a freight train can come through, and you're, like when it's done, you're just going to keep on going. Like. You know, talking to people in the past, and even myself, like I think about, you have this sense of determination that is stronger than anything, because you've just you're you're getting your ass kicked and you can't help you can't mm -hmm. prevent it, and now it's like this is the one thing that I'm gonna do for myself, and nothing is going to stop me from doing it. Like so I can see how that, that was your turning you? point. When was that moment for you? Was it after the the diagnosis? You're still a teenager. Were you like were you? I was still a teenager. Yeah, I um, I actually uh, I went to college um, for my child and youth worker diploma. Um, that was interrupted with a hospitalization. That's where the Crohn's came. That's oh. not where the Crohn's came oh. yet. Yeah, no, I was still struggling with with my health. Um, I I enjoyed college. It was a decision I made for myself when I had found direction and life. Um, a high school kid with like a 30% attendance rate. I never missed a college class a day. That makes you so much more determined. Like, I want to do this. Yeah. Which is why I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think... Um, did you get any kind of attendance record uh, award? I, I did, actually. I uh, want to hear about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually received a, an award for academic standing. Nice. Um, and uh, it was really dedicated to, to that field and to that work. Um, That's got to have felt good after 35% attendance. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was definitely a big change. I'm sure my parents were happy. Um, I did a, a college placement, uh, a youth detention center in Hamilton. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't a place I wanted to be. It, it's not a place that I saw myself working. Um, and by the end of it, it was the only thing I ever saw myself doing. Um, wow. So, wow, that's huge. I really uh, enjoyed working with the teenagers. Uh, I think that kind of found my niche in that sense. Um, when I look back at myself as a teenager, not only looking at that trauma as interrupting my identity development, but also the fact that I was missing um, strong adult role models. I mean, other than my parents, mm. um, I had never met anyone with IBD until I was in my 20s. Wow. So I lived on an island for a really long time. Um, and that's why um, not only in my work do I think that being a role model for these kids is essential, um, but also as a volunteer with Crohn's and Clitus Canada. Um, for two years now, I've done Camp Got to Go, um, Which the we Ontario know very Camp. Well here, yeah. 
and I've been a counselor in the, with the teenagers. Um, yeah, so a little background information. Lindsay mm -hmm. and I met at a Crohn's and Colitis event. It was a volunteer's guts, I think. We met at a guts conference. Um, I was a volunteer, she was a volunteer. Uh, we were, all volunteers were there. So, you know, she shared her story. Um, we've had, like, she, we had Sherry, mom, on uh -huh. here who uh -huh. her son goes well has been both sons have been to camp got to go and just how wonderful it's been the experience for them so when you said you had been volunteering at camp got to go i was like yes obviously like a best person to go there i think it's I, the reason i volunteer is because i truly think that it's really important totally. for them to see someone young who's battled the disease who's successful yeah i think that mm -hmm. as a teenager I don't know if I ever have, would have a relationship, an education, a career, um, you know, and I th wish that I had someone back then in my life to show you this who light. was yeah who was totally as cool as me, uh, <laughs> not to, you know who demonstrated Aww. that kind of resilience, that kind of persistence, and who could say like, hey, look at me, um, I'm living a really fulfilling life. Um, and so I definitely want to be that person for them um, and make those connections with those teenagers. Um, Where are you working now? Right now, um, I'm working at Solapse Youth Center. Um, it's a secure uh, mental health and youth justice facility for teens who are in conflict with the law and or are suffering from severe mental health issues. So you're a counselor to them? I was a frontline worker right. um, as a youth worker, a youth, youth counselor um, for... I've been there for 15 years. So you've been, um, you've been doing it for a while. I've been doing it for a while. Um, I was a frontline manager um, for several years. Um, the big thing about that is a lot of my job involves crisis management. Mm. Quick um, thinking on your feet. Quick thinking on yeah. your feet, long shifts. Um, in my 20s, I worked two to three jobs, um, which I think is a you know something really difficult for someone with chronic illness to, um, hello, to kind yeah. of balance. Working two or three jobs bit. in your twenties is really difficult if you're healthy. If you're healthy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Add in not being healthy. Yeah, just like. So do you share your story dressing with them? to go to one job? Like, do sometimes. you share your your youth experiences with them to show them, like you're in a dark place right now, but I'm living proof that you won't always be here. I wouldn't necessarily share my personal story with them, but I definitely use my personal story to, to try to identify with them. Absolutely. Um, the, That's so huge. The kids that I work with, I, I like to think that they've experienced trauma. Well, I don't like to think, but I do know that they've experienced trauma. In some and, way. In some way. And yeah. though it's very different from how I may have experienced trauma that interrupted my development. Um, I it's can still see how it's still trauma and yeah. how it's applicable to these kids moving onto that wrong path and identifying with the wrong people um, and managing that anger. Um, and I think that's something I can put myself into their shoes in a sense um, when working with them to try to understand that why these kids are so mad. Yeah. It gives you an advantage over the other adults that are there too who may not have had this experience. Like no disrespect to, to sure. them, but I just mean there's a deeper understanding. So like as much as our family and friends are here yeah. to support us with IBD, when we meet someone else who has IBD, oh, there's it's an like, instant. Hey, hey, hey. When well, yeah. we met, remember? Yeah. What's going on? Well, yeah. what do, it's like <laughs> it, it instantly created yeah. intimacy between two strangers because Absolutely. we had this so I can imagine common experience. You using your background experience, how that must help you with your relationships with young adults. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like, um, how, 
these people, these people that you're working with, obviously not necessarily dealing with any kind of chronic pain or discomfort, but the emotional trauma, what's your process? Do you, how much do you let them in on what, you, what you've gone through or how do you use it to uh, connect with kids? I think with what I've gone through and really I've focused being on them developing their skills and making more positive choices in their lives, the mm -hmm. focus is really on them. It's not a story that I would typically share with any of the clients, mm -hmm. but I think it really helps me. Um, Gives you the strategies you need. Helps me with this, the, definitely the strategies, yeah. being able to kind of identify with them in a sense of remembering how that felt for me. Um, and then being that positive adult role model who isn't a parent. Um, that, yeah. that I didn't have. Yeah. Um, so I think those are definitely huge yeah. drivers for yeah. me. I take a lot of pride in my work, um, and there's a lot of determination involved. And I, when I say I worked multiple jobs or 16-hour shifts, I feel like at the end of the day when I got home, it was small victories for me every time. You Knowing, enjoyed what you enjoy what you're doing. I enjoy what I'm doing, but yeah. I enjoy the fact that I I've uh, can push through I, like. For sure, I hell yeah, I get tired. Mm. Um, but taking my shoes off at the end of a day and putting my feet up for somebody with chronic illness yeah. or somebody with Crohn's or colitis, it's like you won that day. Like I killed that sixteen-hour <laughs> shift. Like, I'm it, your bitch. You did not beat me. Yeah. me. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. No, totally. I really. That's a great. But feeling. that's 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 that determination thing. You know, like yeah. no, I don't care. I've just had surgery, I'm going to work. And also, <laughs> I, I have to say, like, one thing that I, I find, you know, very common with a lot of our guests who come in and talk to us is that sense of, like, really appreciating, like, having gratitude for small victories and realizing Dude, that we have, this potential, we have this potential for joy sometimes Absolutely. that we ignore, you know? Like, that nice feeling of coming home, taking your, taking your shoes off and going, I... I just worked 16 lives. hours. Yes, I did. I changed lives, <laughs> but I also just changed my own because I was reframed yeah. you know, yeah, what I think I'm able to do. absolutely making a difference yeah. in other people's lives. And then 100% having those small victories, it gives you that, like, that adrenaline rush mm -hmm. and that confidence that I'm doing this. I'm not being yeah. leveled or flattened by what is living inside of me. Like, I am I'm conquering. Now, granted, we have days where... Mm. What is living inside of us 100 yeah. percent is winning that battle mm -hmm. <laughs> so when we have the good days we need shirts yeah yeah <laughs> there needs to be we a need a shirt, we yeah. need shirt. this is shirt. my day <laughs> so uh you at 35 you had a, a new complication or when did when did your latest chapter begin um, was it I, the Crohn's diagnosis? I think it was a Crohn's diagnosis. I had been extremely ill um, and, and working through that for, for quite some time. Um, Were you medicating at that point? Or? Like, have I you been was, taking medication since you... I've been on, right, okay. you know, you name it kind of thing, right? The biologics. Um, no the biologics, five, yeah. Okay, so the five point. ASAs. Mm -hmm. The five ASAs, probably like the imurans, the methotrexate, mm -hmm. yep. prednisone, yep. obviously prednisone for everybody. Yeah. Salazapirin? I don't, I don't know. know. That oh, one doesn't ring a bell. All right. Okay. I don't know that one. Oldie but a goodie. All right. 
Um, I had uh, I'd really been struggling, um, and they actually really struggled with my diagnosis. Um, At like around 25? Around 25. Um, I'm assuming they discovered issues in your small intestine. Is that what came? No. It was the way that it was kind of uh, presenting itself that really made them think that I actually potentially even had colon cancer. Um, oh. it, that resulted in multiple colonoscopies and uh, biopsies. Then they kept saying, it looks like cancer, but, but the biopsies not. keep coming back negative. Um, so at that Did point... Did you have polyps or anything? Um, or? I think it was inflammation and strictures that right. weren't consistent with ulcerative colitis, but right. also were presenting differently than Crohn's disease. I see, um, right. So they really had a difficult time... Um, diagnosing me, sending everything to pathology, trying to figure out what was going on. They landed on Crohn's in the end. I'm not convinced still. But did, uh, that, <laughs> did that put you, cause like, so 25 were diagnosed with Crohn's, but you didn't have ileostomy until 35. So there's 10 years there. So are, is 10 year, is that 10 years you struggling? Or is that 10 years there was a medication that you got on for a while that you were able to maintain? I'm going to say that's 10 years of me struggling. Just bouncing from medications, hospital appointments, managing yeah. yourself, trying to manage your stress, what you're reading, whatever the case yeah. may be. So then 35, what, did you make the choice to have a ileostomy? Like what happened? Um, I had a little bit of control, but it wasn't entirely a choice. Um, it was one of those like, well, you sort of have a choice, but. <laughs> I'd say about 2000, late 2012, I actually started Remicade, which was my first biologic. Okay, so you did, okay. Um, and 2013 and 2014, I was in full remission for the first time in my entire life. Wow. Wow, I've uh, never 2013, had 2013, 2014. Yeah. Best two years. Best two years. <laughs> life. We need another shirt. Years. We need another shirt. Best two <laughs> years. Um, um, I was able to do a lot of things I couldn't do before. Um, now, know. when you say remission, because there's different types of remission. There's clinical remission where, you know, we scope you healthy colon. Right. But then there's also non there's not clinical remission. They say, no, you still have inflammation, but you just feel like a million bucks. You were full remission. I was full remission. Like you were doing all the stuff. I was doing all 20, 20K, running 20Ks. Wow. Um, participating, so I did literally. a Tough mutter. Sweet. Um, things I could never do and before. And feeling like life is starting now. Look at right. me. So then what happened? Um, unfortunately, Remicade stopped working. Um, and we still don't really know why. I didn't develop antibodies. My trough levels were fine. It just kind of this stopped happens. working. Okay, yeah. so let, can I ask you about what was the mental process around that? Like when you started to notice that it was no longer working... Was it a mourning process? What, what was I think happening? it was more frustration. Mm. You know, if I my body had developed antibodies or right, right. any of those things, there but it really just stopped working for me. Did your symptoms start um, as like diarrhea, blood, pain? Like was it? It that was kind the of, pain, right, the, okay. the bloating, right, the discomfort. Right. All those things kind of slowly started to return. We continued to up the meds. We continued to up the infusions, like was to four weeks apart. Right, and we just couldn't get back yeah. there. Um, so I've, you got ill. I got ill, and at that point, I developed some really serious strictures. Right. Because um, of the scar tissue, I would assume. So much scar tissue. Yeah. Things just weren't moving through, and I was basically told um, we can kind of plan a resection or... Um, you can continue you, living you like You can this. continue living like this and have an emergency one. So there's a choice. There's a choice. What to do? <laughs> Um, so planned one, obviously, yeah. I, I had a lot more control over. Was this, a, was this, 
you know, I know you had mentioned before we started the interview, like, oh, actually, even in the interview, you said, you know, having a surgery to get an ostomy was the last thing you wanted to do. And I feel like a lot of IBD warriors, there is that, the, the fear of the unknown and the fear of just even a surgery. Yeah, because you don't know what's yeah. my body going to look like and after the surgery. What, what is this going to mean for me? Even? Just, yeah. yeah. Is it permanent? What so did you changing? struggle with this? Or were you at a point where you were so sick at this point that you were like, no, this is making my decision a lot easier? I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, I, and you, you were know, an I'd, adult at this point, too. I'm an adult at right. this point, And I mean, I... I kind of mentioned it earlier at 14, um, 20 years ago, your options were prednisone or surgery. Yeah. yeah. Um, and surgery was the most terrifying idea to me. Totally. From 14 up until this point. That was that yeah. was the worst possible outcome. Um, that's something I ran from for years. I, I did trial drugs. I did yeah, everything yeah. you can imagine to avoid this situation. Um, and it really seems so silly now. Talk about that. So you uh, had your surgery. I had my surgery. Um, I lost probably the majority of my colon. Um, what's left in there I call my colon bit. Um, it's just floating around in there doing nothing right now. Delicious snacks mm -hmm. idea, by it's the way. floating around doing nothing. Bit. I just picture this, like, large intestine. Hi! Just, yeah. Every now and then you do an ultrasound and it just goes by. I wish I was, I wish I was a cartoonist and I could sketch it because that would have been such a great, like, put the eyes on it, like, big smiley face. It's, it's free! Just, you know what? I, it's not doing nothing. It's still wreaking havoc in there, but it, it's not attached <laughs> to anything. And, right. Um, and uh, I woke up from surgery. There was a small possibility they would have been able to do the reset without doing the ileostomy. You mean within that surgery? Yeah. So the idea was they were going in to take out some of that, the diseased intestine. So they could have maybe reattached? They could have, right. so I, they, I didn't okay. let myself uh, get excited about that just in case? Yeah, I actually yeah. decided in, in my head that I was getting the right. ileostomy right. Um, okay. so that I wouldn't have to, to struggle with, with that. Right. Um, it was really hard at first. I mean, you've got a whole new way of doing things. And hard in terms of like learning how to uh, uh, deal with the appliance. Yeah, and how like, to what do I do with or, this thing? Okay, so yeah. like the physical components. But what about mentally? Did you have any mental? Was it hard mentally? Like, or self esteem, body issues? Like, was there anything you struggled that way or no? You know, I think the older I get, the less I really care about what anybody thinks. Yes, girl. Um, talk yes. about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think um, I am actually so grateful um, that this surgery came about at this point in my life right. because um, of the I strength have that you have. The strength that I have, the strength yeah. of my relationship with my husband, mm -hmm. um, the strength of my relationship with my friends, my comfort in who I am and what I'm about. Um, yeah. Kind of like I. It was like a perfect timing. It was good. I look back at my teenage years. Right. And if this had happened to me then, how much of a struggle that would have been. Mm. Um, how self-esteem. Yeah. Um, body image. Yeah. Dating. Um, and again, I, I'm grateful that this happened to me at this point in my life because at this point in my life, it was so manageable. Totally, and um, you had such a support, and, you, and you having the support, yeah. having the team in your corner, but then also being that strong, determined. Having a sense of self, it's yeah, everything. Yeah, totally. Having a sense of self and where you belong. I, I really relate to you. The I confidence. Ju I just turned 
50 this year. No. I did. And, yes, girl. Uh, That's right. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I so relate to your story because my diagnosis was at a young age. I went through all those, the same high school, like just a nervous wreck, couldn't find the place that I fit in. It's so excruciatingly hard to try to, because you're not just trying to pass for a normal person when you're high, in high school. You're trying to, you're trying to pass yeah. for a totally yeah. together, yeah. know where I'm going, yeah. got it all, yeah. cool. Uh, how yeah. cool Straight can away. you be when right? you have to carry an extra pair of underwear and you're not <laughs> That's back. right. That's right. Um, <laughs> so it's just, it, it, it's, I completely understand what you say when you get to this point where you just, you kind of don't care anymore. You know no. who you are. You know who your team, your tribe is. Yeah. You're with your people. Yeah. New shirt. And Bad bitches. Yeah. <laughs> There's this a million shirts for what I'm trying to say. I mean, we could, <laughs> the shirts are endless. This is the shirts are laundry goes on forever. But uh, I just, it's, it's heartwarming to hear. I want to know, have you ever encountered anyone in your work with teens who's going through IBD or, any, or anything like that? Have you ever oh. come across anyone who's got a similar story well, to Well, other than Camp Gotchko, because clearly you're meeting a ton. Yeah, knowledge. yeah, clearly yeah. a ton, yeah. Um, not in my work. No. Um, not in my professional work. Um, but Camp Gotchko has been been interesting. Um, uh, there's a, a, a circle where everybody shares, I mean, if they're comfortable yeah. doing right, so, right. around the campfire. Um, and uh, I make sure that I share that I have an ostomy, and I yeah. make sure that I share that I was diagnosed at 14. Um, as I said earlier, I think it's important for them to see positive uh, adult role models, again, that aren't necessarily their parents, um, that are battling IBD and are surviving, and not just surviving, but but thriving. Yeah. We um, just had the gutsy walk. You were at the gutsy yeah. walk. Yeah. Obviously the winter. And I meet the, these children, these youth who have IBD and who have had surgeries or not have had surgeries. And whatever. And I am so blown away with how strong and how, like, I, like I could have never have been. Like some of these kids I meet are amazing. They are so confident. They are so knowledgeable. They are so strong. They are so, like, I'm. I'm just like I need to learn from you. You are eight but you are my hero mm -hmm. <laughs> because you have more, like some of these, and I have, we have to give a shout out to Crohn's and Clitus Canada and Camp Got to Go because that place is such a beautiful place. And I, I think that's it where we're doing so much right. Yeah. When I was 14, I, I never met anyone until I was in my 20s. It's IBD. No. There was no support groups. Anymore. There was no peer support. There was minimal education. And I think we're doing a lot of things right these days by connecting these kids with people they and can identify with and their parents, providing yeah. them with caregiver supports. Um, there's a community out there for kids and teens that they can say, oh, there's more people like me. Um, I'm not on an island. For me, I was on an island. Um, and that's what I think we're doing right. And that's what I think is a huge contributor to you meeting kids with IBD totally. who are confident, yeah. who have yeah. self-esteem. And even the knowledge that they carry. They know what their disease is. Their parents have an understanding of what their disease is. Like, it's the knowledge. The not knowing, it, like, you know, with new diagnoses coming my way, not knowing is terrifying. Not knowing is terrifying, but it's, also not having any kind of... 
uh, context for yeah, like, it's debilitating. Am I going to really feel is. well and then feel yeah. bad again? Yeah. What does that mean? Does that mean I'm failing? Does it mean I'm getting yeah. sicker? Like no, a chronic totally... disease means you're going to feel well and you're going to feel bad and you're going to feel well and you're going to feel bad. But that's another reason why we have this podcast too. Like this is therapy for me. Like meeting people like you, Lindsay, you know, Lisa, sitting here talking mm-hmm. about my problems, listening to other people's issues, like celebrating our small victories, you know, talking about when we have not had our victories. Yeah. Like we need this. IBD warriors need to hear this on their healthiest days and on their, on their sickest days. Like we need to know that we're going to get through this portion. We do. We need to hear somebody who has an ostomy say, I don't regret the decision. And you, you are one of like five people that I have heard say out loud, this was the right decision for me. Yeah. And I went through so much, and that's like in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And it's only, I've only met people who have had that experience by doing this podcast. And I, I just think about all the times that I imagined that when I was a kid and I thought it was like... Like that you were going to need to have a surgery? Yeah, that I was going to be lying down my entire life. That I think at yeah. one point I thought I'm going to be in a hospital bed my entire life with something attached to me to help me go to the bathroom. Right. And that's just my diagnosis. They will have to wheel me everywhere. 100%. Right. That's what I thought. But the options were were just that at that time. time yeah. With yeah. biologics and, and again with with um, with continued awareness and I mean it's unfortunate but diagnoses are increased so much that there's more of a need for supports there's more of mm-hmm. a need totally. for spread awareness but out of that we've developed so many support systems that weren't available to kids like me 20 years ago. That are there. Um, another huge part of that is social media. Um, before my ostomy surgery, I started kind of my own IBD account. Yes, um, you have one on Instagram. I right. do. So can we show, can we tell everybody what that yeah, is? Yeah, Can sure. they start following you? So yeah. um, Lindsay's Instagram is notorious at, at, oh right, sorry, I forgot right. yet, at notorious underscore IBD. Great one. I follow yeah. her all the time. I'm always like, nee, 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 like your stories and everything notorious else. Notorious underscore IBD, at notorious underscore IBD on Insta. Yeah, yeah. and I started that account before my ostomy surgery to yes. educate myself. I started following people all over the world um, with IBD and with ileostomies or colostomies. Um, and I, that's where I learned a lot prior to my surgery. Um, and that really normalized it for me too. Uh-huh. There's totally. so many people living. There's so many bad things about social media, but there's so many good things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that really, that really kind of let me know what I was getting into, really normalized um, that for me prior to my surgery. Um, So it wasn't quite as much of a shock to me. So is there, just before we end, is there um, a chance or is it still up in the air that you may be able to reconnect this piece of floating colon that is, I picture yeah. one of those car balloons. Yes, the floating colon yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of them. <laughs> the, the floppy car balloons. Yes. It's just like, <laughs> that's what I picture when I think of <laughs> colons floating. He's just showing up. <laughs> like, um, yeah. like, so it's... It feels like that sometimes. <laughs> well, now that you have that visual image, you know. You might just want to keep it. You might want to give him a name. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been on Stellara for about a year. Okay. Um, because that, uh, 
And you're feeling good? Piece of pulling in there is uh, still really angry. Totally. We're kind of trying to get control of that before we consider reconnecting. Um, at this point, Solera is not really working for me. Mm -hmm. um, we're probably going to be going up to four weeks to see how right. that does. Okay. Um, is that an injection or infusion? That's an injection, okay. the Solera. So like Humira then? So we have kind yeah. of a plan. So um, moving up to four weeks with the Solera, and then I'm willing to try Intibio. Right. Um, yeah, totally. I think that's next on the list. And to be honest with you, after that, I'm after just get 20 of, years, I am really willing to just... Get rid of the car balloon. Get rid of it and, <laughs> and live uh, healthy and happy with my ileostomy. Well, especially if you were to go through this long journey, you know? Yeah. Like, and I, you, I mean... So other than so the it's floating... it's the piece of colon right now that's, that's causing, causing you problems. Yes. Nothing else. Nothing else. Damn colon. Yeah. Colon. Yeah. How much is left? Do you colon. know how long? Is You're it being the whole out right now? Do you understand? That, did they remove the large or small? They removed the large. I think there's about a third left in there. Hey. Oh, okay. So still decent amount. Yeah. Guys. Oh, yeah. Hey, guys. Lindsay's colon. We see you right now. <laughs> yeah, okay, we buddy? see you. you got, your days are numbered. You so need to stop. get it together. Stop it. Or get out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, well, that's my. You know what? I'm. I'm getting tired. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, so, uh, especially considering you've already had the surgery and you're now comfortable and everything else is working and this leftover piece this that is supposed to be resting right now. Doesn't want to join to the resting. party. Like, there is no food or still. You're supposed to be resting. Like, somebody's a little bit of a showboat. Yeah. You know, in there. A showbutt. He's a little bit a of a showbutt. showbutt. He's a showbutt. And he needs to go. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, thank you for Lindsay, being here. You're the best. Yes. And sharing your story. What a journey. Yeah, you it, you guys who have been diagnosed as a kid, man, that's it's crazy. I'm I'm like, I'm, I'm grateful to hear your story. It uh, I'm happy to hear that you're using your experience. We to need help to have you back. Kids. It's amazing. We're we gonna, really should. we're gonna have Lindsay back. Have you back when after you go through your course of next medications, whether the decision is to reconnect or to just disconnect, disconnect, you got to come back and tell us about that. And if I get fully disconnected, I don't know if you guys are aware, but in the ostomy community, yeah. I will now have a Barbie butt. What? 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 Oh, because it's right. really clean? Well, because it's fake. It's it's not a real butt. <laughs> Barbie butt. Oh, my God. <laughs> T-shirt. Oh so, T-shirt. That's, another, that's, that's definitely another T-shirt. I've never heard so, I love uh, it. No, <laughs> no, you're, 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 that's going to be, that is going to be Oh, my gosh. We need to start a, we need to start a shop. Barbie yeah. bed. I don't have a Barbie bed. <laughs> oh my god. Mine is far from that. Oh wow. Oh, but how intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So we need to have you back either Barbie butt or non-Barbie yeah. butt. But Lindsay, thank you so much for being here. Um, you know, you've had some fantastic experiences. Um, good and bad. Um Will you I think, come back? Yeah, yeah we, of course I'll come back. I think what you're doing with you guys. is amazing and we wish you the best of health barbie butt or no barbie butt yeah obviously and, uh, thank you for for sharing with us that ostomy is a pretty practical solution yeah yes. i'm yeah. living just the same if not better with it so that's wicked that's great take that in just yeah. the same if not better if not better so check out Lindsay on Instagram at notorious underscore IBD to follow her story um, and to support her. Again, you can reach out to Crohn's and Colitis. If, you, if you're listening and you heard, uh, you know, we talked about Camp Gotchko, you have a youth mm -hmm. in your life who may benefit from this. Go to Crohn's and Colitis Canada. Uh, look at the uh, initiatives that they have, Camp Gotchko, IV, the IV Scholarship for Youth for Young Adults. Um, 
take care of your mental health yeah. as well as you take care of your physical health. Yes. Because that's important. And find someone to support you in and this journey. If you're the premier of Ontario, stop cutting health care. Yeah, just stop being an <laughs> ass. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Or we'll All right. boo you. Yeah. <laughs> or we're going to boo you, you, not just at the Raptors yeah. parades. All right, everyone. Peace out. Strength and positive thoughts. Till next time. Guts and Glory is produced by Bang Albino, Inc., a full-service creative agency. 